Hopefully you got my email uh, earlier this week that if you're following the reading schedule, I changed it on you. As I was prepping for this message uh, a week or two ago, uh, I started to think, man, I need to keep these together rather than try to separate them. So I wanted to keep the whole chapter together because it's a whole unit of thought rather than break it up. So I changed it on you. And... um, Hopefully you had a chance to read that ahead of time. We're not going to read every single verse today, because that's 48 verses, um, but we're going to be looking at a lot of it today, and then I'll fill in the gap somewhere. But just in case you haven't um, seen that, that change, the email's out there waiting for you. Basically, we've just shifted. Next week's sermon will be what was originally planned for the 13th, so chapter 11, verse 1 through 18. All right? Hey, um, before we, we jump in, I've got a book I want to give away. Now, before I tell you about this book, um, this is the third time now I believe I'm giving a book away, and there's a couple things you need to know. One, if you're going to take these books, I, I, I want you to commit to reading these. I'm not looking to just build a library where the, the, the books sit on your shelf. So I, I want to give this book to someone who really wants to read it. Um, the other thing you need to know is the books I give out, I've read. I'm not giving you books that I haven't read. I won't do that. Okay? I want to be able to, to say, I've read this. I think it's worth your time reading this. So today's message is going to hit on a topic that, that sometimes can rub us, and that's the sovereignty of God. That's God does whatever he pleases. That verse that we read at the beginning of our service, that God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Sometimes that rubs us because then we, we ask questions like, well, what does that mean about me and, and what I get to choose to do and my responsibility? And, and uh, so I've got this book, it's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And for some people, those are opposites, but they're not. They go hand in hand, and this book shows how those go hand in hand. It's by J.I. Packer. He's been around for a while. Maybe you've read other books by him, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It's 122 pages. Who would like to read this book? Evangelism and up, got him in the back. Wes, I'm coming to you, brother. All right. There you go. Enjoy that. So that's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. If anyone else is interested in it by J.I. Packer, you can get that. It's a pretty inexpensive book. I want to say it was like 11 or 12 bucks. Or I'm a Kindle guy because my wife doesn't like to have lights on at night and I get a lot of reading done in bed. So Kindle helps me get a lot of reading done. It's $9.99 on Kindle. All right. So, um, so this morning, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48. Um, one of my daughters follows in my shoes, unfortunately for her in this case. Um, as a child, I was... Um, very headstrong. I still am very headstrong, and maybe sometimes I'm still like a child. I don't know. But I'm still very headstrong at times. But particularly as a child, I was one of those children who I would not take instruction very well because I didn't need it. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. You see it? You see it? I knew how to do things already, even though I've never done them before. I knew how to do them. I don't need adults who have lived longer than I have to tell me how to do something. I know how to do it. And unfortunately, that's been passed on to at least one of my kids. And, and sometimes, you know, when, when that happens, and maybe you've had this experience either with your kids or it's you yourself, if you're on the receiving end or you're the one trying to give the instruction, you want to just kind of wring their necks and go, don't be a fool, right? I can't imagine what my mom was thinking, you know? Uh, and, and really, maybe she told me and I just don't remember. I blocked that out, right? But you just want to wring their necks and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you haven't lived like I have lived. You haven't seen what I have seen. You have no clue what you're doing. And yet, we insist that, yeah, I can do this. And so there's sometimes, depending on the the case, and maybe you you do this too, there's sometimes where I'm just going to let my kid go and fail. And I'm rooting for it at that case. 
Like, just run up against the wall. Lord, just let her fail at this because it's not going to harm her really made. Like, I wouldn't do this if it was like a life risk situation. But like, you know, you, you think you can do this? Okay, go ahead and do it. Hands off. Sometimes I wonder if that's how God views us. When we, when we try to decide for God what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. And, and maybe we would never say it like, God, I can do this better, but that's our attitude. God, I don't need you to help me figure this out. I can do it on my own. Sometimes I, I wonder, in fact, I know there's places in the scripture where we see God say, chase it. And sometimes I wonder if he does that to us more often than we realize. You think you can figure this out? Go ahead. You don't want to draw upon my wisdom, the eternal God who has been in existence for, for all of time and beyond time, the one who has created all things. You don't want to draw on my wisdom. You think you can do this better? Go ahead. You think you can figure this out? Go ahead. This morning in our verses, Peter, who we picked back up with last week, comes right up against that. It's God's, it's God's sovereignty. It's a big word, but, but it means God is over all things. He's, he is the sovereign rule. He's the one who controls all things, rules all things. There's no one greater than him, no one higher than him. Nothing happens outside of his purview. Nothing happens outside of his sovereign control. And sometimes that runs right up against what we want God to do and how we think God should work. And Peter's going to run up against this this morning as we go to Acts chapter 10. So let's take a look here. Here's where we're going because we're also going to see the, the, the message of God about Christ and, and about peace with God break another barrier. Here's where we're going. Pursue people with the gospel the way God pursues people with the gospel. Pursue people with the gospel the way God pursues people with the gospel. He's our model. Here we go. Verses one through the, the next couple of verses here. Now, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's a devout, God-fearing man as well as all his household. He did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. About three o'clock in one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Now, before we get into that vision, here's what you need to know about Cornelius. He is not a Jewish person. He is a full-bred, non-Jewish person. The Bible talks about two large groups of people, Jewish and Gentile. That's everyone else who's not Jewish. Cornelius is full-on Gentile. He's an Italian, so he's a Roman soldier with the Italian cohort. He leads about a about hundred soldiers or so, and he's a, he's a full-on Gentile. Now, Here's what you need to know about, about Gentiles. See, God in history, as, as God created Adam and Eve, his, his presence was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was living among Adam and Eve in the garden. But then sin, when Adam and Eve dis disobeyed God, sin entered in and it distorted the way that God it was able to live among people with his presence. And so then as, as time progressed on, God went to a man named Abraham and, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to work through you and your people. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you lots of descendants. And it's through you that I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And through you, I'm going to make a special covenant. And so as the Old Testament unfolds, you see this family of Abraham, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and God has a unique, special relationship with him, a covenant relationship with him. And he is sovereignly, I'm going to throw that word out a couple times today just to, to make it stick. He has sovereignly chosen this nation. And in, and in the book of Deuteronomy, he's so clear about it as he's leading this, this nation who has been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and he's about to lead them into this land that he has promised them. He reminds them, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest nation around. 
In other words, you weren't impressive. You weren't mighty. You weren't strong. I didn't choose you for that reason. I didn't choose you because of anything about you was impressive to me. I chose you for my own purposes, my own glory. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And so he chooses this nation to work through and through them. The goal is that as God relates through them and, and they relate to God, that other nations will be drawn in. And so God has been working through this people. Now here's what happened. You see, God set this people, Israel, completely apart from the other nations. It was a very unique relationship that God had with Israel that he did not have, did not choose to have with other nations. Now, one thing that's clear in the Old Testament is God always has a desire and always had a plan to include non-Jewish people into his, his, his family, into his kingdom. He was never excluding any type of people, but he was working very specifically and had a very special type of love for this one group of people. And throughout the, the Old Testament, you'll see glimpses where God is still bringing in non-Jewish people like Rahab, the harlot from Jericho, like Ruth, the Moabitess, who ends up in the, both of those ladies, by the way, end up in the line of Jesus, non-Jewish people. You see, God always had a plan to include people in, but he had a special type of love for this one group of people, which means if you were outside of Israel, you were cut off from God without hope unless somehow you were able to know God. You were able to, to experience God through the Jews. And so as that history progressed, the way the Jews and the Gentiles related, it, it started to cause a great division. Not because that's what God wanted, but, but because that's how it manifested itself as people tried to follow God. And so Gentiles were unclean, they were dirty, and a lot of what they did for God's people absolutely was. Because the law of God in the Old Testament was designed to, one, communicate God's character to set his people apart from all the other nations. He had to make sure they knew how to relate to him and him uniquely from all the other nations. And so a lot of times in the law, I would say, don't do this like the other nations. And so there was this division. And, and as that, that started to grow, what started to happen was the Jews stopped following after God's plan. They weren't trying to be the light to the nations. And instead, they were more concerned about their own outward righteousness. How can I obey this law and obey it well enough to become righteous. And they completely missed what God was trying to do with them through the law. But if you were a Gentile, you were a non-Jew, you were a people who would be described as aliens, foreigners, cut off, without hope, because you didn't have that special type of relationship with God that God had with the Israels. That's Cornelius. Now, now Cornelius is a little different because we read about him being a devout, God-fearing man. He's praying, he's giving alms, he's giving money to charity. But Cornelius is not a Christian. Cornelius is not saved at this point. Cornelius is not a believer in Jesus at this point. Cornelius, and Luke uses that phrase God-fearer quite a bit. He does it in his gospel as well. He uses God-fearer to describe a Gentile who has in some shape, form, or fashion converted to Judaism. They've started to worship the God of the Jews. They've started to obey and submit their life to the law of the Jews to some degree. Usually that does not mean they got circumcised. And so uh, a person who's called a God-fearer is usually going to be a Gentile who has not gone full-on convert and gotten circumcised. But he's still worshiping that same God. He's still, he's still following that same law. That's Cornelius. But he's not saved. Okay? And he's, he's, not a, he's not a follower of Jesus at this point. But he also represents a group of people who are completely far off from God. See, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen the, the, the church grow as the gospel first was, was revealed among the Jewish people. 
day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And, and we've seen that church grow. And then in Acts chapter 8, we start to see that gospel, that good news about God's peace through Christ start to, to break some barriers as Philip was able to share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch who was headed back down to Africa. And then later in that chapter with Samaritans, half Jew, half Gentile. We, we've seen that, that gospel start to break these barriers. And now this morning, we see it go another barrier. You remember Jesus told his followers at the beginning of Acts, hey, you will receive power, this is Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. We've seen it happen in Samaria. And then what's the next part? To all the rest of the earth, all the regions of the earth. We haven't seen it quite go there yet. But this morning we do. And Cornelius is a guy who's far off from God. And I want you to know too, look, look, it's possible to be devout and not be close to God. It's possible to be devout and to be committed to God and to, 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 to do all these things for God and not even know him. Uh, Jeff Hill, our worship pastor, has a phrase that he throws around every now and then. Maybe you've heard him say it. I can't remember if he used it in one of his messages. But a lot of times people can have a deep reverence for God without a deep relationship for God. Entirely possible happens all the time. That's Cornelius. Now in Cornelius' case, he doesn't realize that's the case and God's going to show him some mercy. But listen, you can be devout. You can go to church. You can, you can read your Bible. You can, you can sing songs of worship. And in your mind, you can agree with all of that stuff and still be far from God. Because if you don't have God's spirit, if your heart has not been changed, if you've not received that new life that God offers from above, you don't know God. You might know about him, but God never intended people just to know about him. You know about him so that you can know him. And Cornelius is doing the best he can, but his best is not good enough. He's a guy that's far from God, but God is a God that pursues people who are far from him. We keep reading in verse 4, staring at him, so he's getting this angel, staring at him and becoming greatly afraid. Cornelius replied, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. So Cornelius is told, go, go send some men, get Peter, bring Peter here. He sends those men. Scene shifts to Peter, verse 9. Peter, remember, he's staying with Simon the Tanner and, and Caesarea, and it's, it's about noon that next day. Cornelius had his vision about 3 o'clock, the next day about 12, noon. Peter's going on the roof. He's hungry, it's lunchtime, but lunch is not ready yet, and so he's going to go up on the roof to pray. And noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing the meal, a trance came over him. Just a, a subtlety there. He didn't fall asleep while he was praying. A trance came over him. This is God's sovereignty at work. This is God acting and interceding and, and, and entering into Peter's world and existence, just like he just did with Cornelius. A trance comes over in verse 11, and he saw the heaven opened and an object, something like a large sheet, descending, being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Now, Jewish people following the law were 
were restricted by certain things that they could, could and could not eat. Certain four-footed animals, if their feet were a certain way, you could not eat them. They were considered unclean. Certain types of birds, you could not eat certain types of birds. They were unclean. Reptiles, you don't eat snakes. They're unclean. Some of you are like, that's okay with me. I still won't do that. Couldn't eat shrimp. Couldn't eat, couldn't eat crawfish. None of that. I know, poor people. That's the kind of animals that are on the sheet. Peter, a good Jew, having a vision about all these unclean animals on a sheet. Verse 13, the voice says to him, get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. If I'm Peter, I'm going, this has got to be a test. God's testing my purity, my piety. He's testing whether I'm committed to the law still. And in this vision, have you ever had dreams that tempted you? tempted you to want to go do something that that you knew you shouldn't do but your dream just felt so real that maybe you wanted to go out and do that well Peter's not even having a dream he's having a vision while he's awake and and he feels tempted and this voice is coming from heaven he he assumes it's God maybe maybe he's thinking he's being tricked we don't know it just says Peter get up and go slaughter and eat Peter being the good Jew that he is certainly not Lord for I have never eaten anything defiled and ritually unclean God I've never broken that part of your law I've stayed away from snakes I've stayed away from pigs I've stayed away from shrimp and all those things that you said no to God I'm not going to do that now the voice spoke to him again and second time what God has made clean you must not consider ritually unclean And this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up in heaven. So Peter gets this vision of all these unclean animals and God speaks and says, go eat these. No, God, I won't do that. Those are unclean. I've never done anything like that to make myself unclean. Don't call what I've made clean, unclean. Wait a minute. Is is God changing something here? Is God God telling Peter, "This this are some things that are changing now? Yeah. But Peter's, Peter's going to wrestle with this. Peter's going to see Jesus back in Mark chapter 7, I believe it was, makes a comment about it's not the things that go into your body that make you unclean, but the things that come out of your body that make you unclean. In other words, he's saying the words that come out of your mouth proceed from your heart, and what comes out of your heart is what makes you unclean. It's not about what you're eating. And Mark makes this little side comment in there, and he says, and thus Jesus declared all foods clean. You see, he was kind of giving us a preview, Mark was, of things in the future there. And now God is doing this for Peter. He's saying, go, I've called these things clean. Don't, don't call them unclean. Have you ever felt like you couldn't pursue someone with the gospel because it might tarnish your reputation? Have you ever felt like, I'm not going to go after them, God, I'm not going to even be seen with them because people might see me, good church people might see me with them and think... Yeah, that might, they might think that I'm, I'm like them. They, they might think that I approve of what they're doing. They might think that I'm unclean too. And they might not let me back in. See, Peter's concerned about his reputation at this point. God, I've never done anything that's unclean. I've never done anything that's ceremonially unclean, but God has given him permission. These are not unclean. Have you ever... Felt like, I can't pursue people. I can't cross this, this barrier with the gospel. I'm only going to go to those people that are safe, that fit within the, the prescription that I have set for myself, where people would approve of me going to these people, or I'm going to do it in a way that people would approve, but I'm not, I'm, man, mm, 
I'm not going to go walk up to that person on the street. She's kind of dressed. If people saw me talking to her, they might think I'm a customer. Or, or you know what? I'm not going to go to that place because they drink beer at that place and I don't want people to think I... What I've called clean, do not call unclean. So Peter's trying to figure this out while Peter's still thinking, verse 19, seriously about this vision. He's trying to think, what does this mean, God? I don't understand. The Spirit says him, and again, I just highlight that because I love the way the Spirit just speaks. The Spirit said to him, matter-of-factly, the Spirit said to him, look, there are three men looking for you. Remember Cornelius had sent some guys? Well, they've arrived at this point. He says, verse 20, get up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation because I have sent them. Now, word hesitation. Now, this translation is trying to capture the sense of the word, but you know that, that, that word there? Go with them without distinction. Go with them without discrimination. Don't hesitate because you're concerned that they're Gentile. Don't, don't hesitate to go with these people because you might be concerned you're going to be unclean by associating with them, Peter. A little, little piece of the puzzle is being put there to help them figure out what does this vision mean? Don't call unclean what I have declared clean. Go with them because I've sent them. So he goes with them. They explain that they've been sent from Cornelius. They explain the vision that Cornelius had and now they're on their way over there. We pick up and now Peter has made his way over to Cornelius' house. As, as Peter walks in, Cornelius still not quite sure. Here, here's what's going on. You've got Cornelius getting a vision. You've got Peter getting a vision. But neither one of them quite know how they go together. And, and as, as Peter's going to retell this later in chapter 11, we'll get a couple other pieces that we don't get here. But right now, what we see is Cornelius has a vision that says, sin for this man, Peter. We've got Peter who has this vision about, don't call unclean what I've called clean and go with these men without discrimination, without distinction. And, and Peter doesn't know why he's going. He just knows God has told him to go. Cornelius doesn't know what Peter's coming for to tell him, but he just knows God said, send him. So when Peter gets there, you, we don't have it up here, but in your, your Bible, you'll see that Cornelius actually bows down and starts to worship Peter. Because after all, this is the man God sent him and spoke to him through an angel to get in. Peter said, no, 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 get up. I'm a man like you are. And as Peter goes into the house, Cornelius has gathered all of his family, maybe some friends. He's got a full house. Peter continued talking with him, Cornelius, as he went in. And he found many people gathered together. He said to them, I love this. This is Peter. He said to them, you know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should not call, I should call no person defiled or richly unclean. Now, now put yourself, are you Cornelius or you're somebody in his family and you're sitting there and Peter says, now you know, you know I'm not supposed to be here. You know the regulations of the Jews that for me to be here with you is to make me unclean. You, you know that's the case. But God has shown me that you're no longer unclean, that I shouldn't call you unclean. Can you imagine hearing that? But God is a God who's not afraid to break these barriers that have been put up. He's not afraid to cross these barriers. And he's not afraid to send you even though you might be hesitant to do that. He's not afraid to put you outside of your comfort zone for the sake of his purposes. Verse 29, therefore, when you sent for me, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? <laughs> Can you give me the rest of the story? What am I here for, Peter says. Verse 33, 
Cornelius has told him the vision. He recounts what he's seen and what the angel told him. Cornelius concludes that in verse 33. He says, therefore I sent for you at once and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all here in the presence of God. And listen, here's a piece that we didn't get earlier. To listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. Peter, the Lord's commanded you to say something to us. We're here to listen to that. Peter, now I'm just imagining Peter. I'm going, God, what am I supposed to say? But, you know, Peter knew. Have you ever been in that situation where, where doors just opened and it was just perfectly laid out for you to share the gospel with someone? Like, you didn't have to do anything. You're just following God. Go to this place. Okay, God, I'm going to this place. Okay, speak to that person. You want me to speak to that person? He looks a little tough. He's got tattoos everywhere, you know? He, 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 I don't know, God. Speak to that person. Okay, I'm going to speak to that person. What am I going to say, God? And you walk up and the person says, you, you, I saw you. Tell me what God has told you to tell me. And you're like, what? <laughs> what could it be? Peter clearly has been on this mission. He's clearly been, been traveling and he's been sharing the gospel with all people. I think at this point he, he knows, wait a minute. What, what's the message that God has given me? Who, who am I a witness for? This guy has just asked me, tell me the gospel. Has anyone ever flat out asked you that? There's been a few occasions where someone says, tell me about Jesus. Are you kidding? You got, how much time do you got? Because that's going to decide how long I tell you about him. Right? I mean, am I going to give you the three-minute version or the 30-minute version? Tell us what God has commanded you. So Peter goes on. He starts speaking. I now truly understand. And this is, pieces are just being put together for Peter. As, as he's speaking, as these events are unfolding, God didn't give him the whole picture. God didn't say, hey, I want you to go to Cornelius. He's a Gentile. Don't worry. I've taken care of this. You're you're no longer going to be made unclean before me. Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't have to worry about this kind of thing. And when you get there, you're going to share with him the gospel. Don't worry about that because I'm working something here and he's going to respond. Don't worry about it. He didn't give him any of that. Just one thing. Just follow. Just follow. Sometimes God just wants us to follow. But God, where do I? No, just just follow. Just go that next step. No, just, just one more step. But God, I want to know what? Nope, that's not, not the case here. He says, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome before him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Stop for a moment. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. There is no type of person No person whose skin color, no person whose background, no person whose tribe, no person who has a certain type of family, a certain last name. There is no person beyond God's mercy. And you know, this speaks directly to racism. And I'm not going to speak a whole lot on racism this morning. But if you had any question as to whether or not you can justify by the Bible discriminating against a certain group of people because of skin color or you somehow got in your twisted mind that God does not reach this kind of people, you're not reading the Bible. God does not show favoritism toward types of people. He doesn't discriminate based on skin color, based on background, based on nationality, ethnicity. Pick the word you want to use. God does not discriminate. His gospel is available for all people of all backgrounds. And maybe this morning, you're one of those people who maybe you've received that grace. You've received that mercy. And you, your testimony of that, God, God reaches all kinds of people because nobody else wanted to have anything to do with me but God.
Or, or I, was, I was someone who was discarded. I was used, I was abused, I was discarded, and people treated me like trash. But God was rich in mercy. I have a family, and my family, their name around town is not well respected. Like if you, if you knew my last name around town, you, you would distance yourself around, from me. But God is not concerned about last names. He's not concerned about what your mom does, what your dad does, what your grandpa is known for. He's not concerned about that. That doesn't keep him from pursuing you. He shows no favoritism. Peter starts to proclaim the gospel, the good news of peace through Christ. You realize that there was a need for peace between us and God, for people and God. You realize that there's a need for us to be made at peace with God because we are the ones who are at at odds with him and that happens through Christ. He explains that. He goes on in verse 37. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John announced with respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He starts to recount the things that Jesus did. He went around doing good and, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And then he says, we are witnesses. And Peter had brought some people with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in Judea and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. You cannot explain the gospel without Jesus' death. But God raised him up on the third day. You cannot explain the gospel without the resurrection. And caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us. The witnesses God had already chosen. Who ate and drank with him. And after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that he is the one, Jesus, is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. You and I will not stand before God. We will stand specifically before God, the Son, Jesus. Jesus will be the judge of all of us one day. Not God the Father, not God the Spirit. God the Father has made Jesus the judge. His life, his righteousness, his death on our behalf, his resurrection of the dead, his enthronement, all of that has given him the right to be judge. Verse 43, about him, about Jesus, all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness in his name. But what about, what about people with this skin color? Everyone who believes in Jesus. What about people with this back? Everyone who believes in Jesus. What's the requirement? Belief in Jesus results in forgiveness of sins. No distinction. No favoritism. All right, buckle up. Buckle up. While Peter was still speaking these words. In other words, we just got the whole bit of what Peter said. But now Luke says, but it was while he was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. What? See, now, now go back here. You and I, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And we're reading that through our lens. What we're expecting next is, is for, for Peter to say, do you want to trust in this? Are you ready to believe in this? Maybe he's going to lead them in some kind of prayer. We, we expect some kind of follow-up. We expect some, time, some type of space, right? This is where God's sovereignty just flies in our face. And, and we're, we have to wrestle with the tension. While Peter was still speaking, well, how far did Peter get? While he was still speaking these things, no indication of any other thing, while he was speaking these things, the Spirit fell on them. What? That's not how I would expect God to work. 
Our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. And we have to stop deciding for God how he works, when he works, who he wants to do it to, all that. Because he can do it every one. While Peter's still speaking, the spirit falls. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish people with, with Peter, who had accompanied Peter, were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. In other words, they're looking at this and they're saying, that's exactly what happened to us on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. How is God doing this now? It's the same thing. We were seeing the same thing. And how did they know it was the same thing? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell on the Jewish believers? They were speaking in tongues. And so the people that are with Peter are watching this going, we've seen this before. We've experienced this before. In fact, Peter, we're looking at it next week, chapter 11, as he's going back to the Jewish people and he's reporting back and he's saying, guys, same thing that happened to us happened to them. And Peter clearly gets that because he's going to go on and call for them to be baptized. But before we do that, just a side note, speaking in tongues, what are they doing as they speak in tongues? Praising God, not sharing the gospel. Praising God. See, I, I have long since I had believed that the only reason God uses tongues is to share the gospel. He's not sharing the gospel here. <laughs> The tongues are a result of the people receiving the Spirit. Now again, like on the day of Pentecost, this is not the normal experience. Like You don't necessarily see this happening every time someone receives the Spirit, but there are some unique things in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, God sends His Spirit in a new way that He's never done before. To where the Spirit now dwells and God's presence is now going to be among people by the Spirit of God indwelling them. And he's doing the same thing with the Gentiles. Mostly, I believe, because the people who are there watching, the Jewish people, they need to see that God is breaking down some barriers. And the same experience that they had on the day of Pentecost when God started this new work through the Spirit is the same thing he's doing now with the Gentiles. But the tongues are not the gospel being shared. And for the longest time, I, I, thought, I thought the only reason we see tongues is because the gospel is being shared. But this flies in the face of that because they're not sharing the gospel. These are people who just heard the gospel. These are people who received the Spirit and the tongues are praising God. That's just a side note. Peter says, no one can withhold water for these people to be baptized. He's clearly convinced that they've received the gift of the Spirit. Who has received the Spirit, Holy Spirit, just as we did? He recognizes the experience as the same experience he did. He sees now that God has broken down this barrier, that God is not limited to just working with the Jewish people. He is now pursuing people. And it doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their race, doesn't matter their ethnicity. So he calls for baptism. Because what happens when you receive the Spirit, when you believe in Christ? You follow that up with baptism. So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay for several days. We've got to pursue people with the gospel the way God pursues people with the gospel. And verses like this should fly and confront us face to face with where we've placed limits. With where we said, I'm willing to go this far in following you, God, but I'm not going to go past that. God, I don't want to, I don't want to have a ministry to this type of people. God, God, I don't feel comfortable going talk to that person. God, I'm a little concerned about what other people, mainly church people, I'm a little concerned about what they would think if they see me with them. God, I'm a little concerned about my reputation. I don't want to be considered unclean or off limits. I don't want to be outcast by this group of people because I'm hanging out with this group of people. 
These verses should fly in our face and confront us. And our models should not be, I pursue God the way I want to pursue. I, I pursue people with the gospel the way I want to. But I should look to God to see how does he pursue people with the gospel and I follow suit. There's no barriers to who he's willing to share the gospel with, who he's willing to pursue people with the gospel. He does it despite my, 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 my hesitation, my, my comfort levels. He doesn't care about those as much as I care about those. He does it and it doesn't matter what, what that person has in their background. doesn't matter what they've done in their life. There is no one beyond the mercy of God. And you and I don't get to decide those limits for God. Our God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. Maybe this morning you think, I am beyond God's mercy. Yeah, I hear you talking about this, but, but I mean, those are guys in the Bible. Surely they were, they were decent people on some level, but not me. No, listen, you don't know the people of the Bible. We've talked about Paul. We've talked about Saul, persecutor of Christians, killing Christians. I don't think you've done that. Probably not. I, I don't think you've, you've reached the level that some of these people have reached, and yet God is willing to pursue people like that. In other words, God, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God fully knows who you are. He created you. There's no secret hidden from God. There's no thought, no attitude of your heart that is not present before God. And yet he still sent Christ to die for sinners, fully knowing that. You are not beyond God's mercy you are not too far gone for God to do something miraculous in your life and to change you and to change your direction. But it only happens through Christ. You can't alter that path yourself. You can't change it yourself. Only through Christ. Because he's the one who lived as your substitute, as my substitute. He met the righteous standard of God. He's the one who took the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin, death. He took it for us. He's the one who rose from the dead, overcoming sin and death. You and I can't do that. Only through Christ are we made at peace with God. And that's available to you regardless of who you are, what you've done, what your background is. Others of you this morning, as, as we wrap this up, maybe, maybe as we take a moment and we go before the Lord, God, show me my limitations that I've placed on you. Show me where I'm not willing to follow you, but you want me to go. Show me, God, where I'm uncomfortable, you're calling me to. Show me, God, where, where I've decided how you should work and who you should work among, and I've placed limits on you. That's the question we need to ask before God, because then we need to be freed up to be able to say, God, and I want to pursue people with the gospel the way you pursue people with the gospel. So, Father, this morning we are confronted with who you are, and we are reminded that we are not in control that we are not the ones who determine the course of history, that we are not the ones who hold the keys to the kingdom, that we are not the ones who get to decide who your mercy is extended to. Because God, guess what? We, we are confronted this morning by that. Because maybe I decide someone's not worthy of the gospel. God, you don't need me. You'll take someone else to send them and get that word to them, to my shame and to my judgment. Who am I? A man a person created by you, created to know you, who has received mercy from you, undeserving. Who am I to decide who you extend your mercy to? When you do that, how you do that. It's not for me to decide, God. So confront me today with my limitations that I've placed on you. Break them down. 
humble me, God. And, and, and if that needs to be done for anyone else in here this morning, do it for us. And God, maybe this morning there's, there's some who they thought they were out beyond your reach, but this morning you're reaching to them and you're saying, no, 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 today. Today you know you're not beyond my mercy and my love. God, open their heart they would see your love and see your act of love through Christ on our behalf and trust in him. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss and maybe you would like prayer about something specific. And so we'll have some people available throughout the room to pray with you. Just let them know what you'd like to pray about. Maybe you've trusted in the gospel today. You've trusted in Christ. You want to talk about that or find out what's next. Or maybe you want to know more about that. They'd be glad to visit with you about that. And so if you're part of the prayer team, you can go ahead and make your way to wherever you're going to be in the room. And so God, as we depart from here, mark us as people of your mercy. And humble us where we think that we are better than you and don't need you to show us how you work. And then God, make us to be people who are humble enough to follow you regardless of our comfort, of our hesitation, of our concern over what people think. For the sake of your name, not ours, unto your name, O God, be the glory. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. With that, we'll see you guys next week.